Being a park ranger in Yellowstone National Park is messed up. So my friend worked there this summer. He told me a story about how there was some random guy sitting in a trail in the woods. So that itself is not stangy. But when H came to walk by him, that guy attacked him with a stick and then ran off into the woods. He, with the rest of park rangers, then heard flute music the rest of the week. While they were out in the woods. Super creepy. I work in conservation in Northern Ontario. One year in September I was sent to check up on the bird populations in Sleeping Giant Park near Thunder Bay. The way it works is you sit in different quadrants of the park, usually in lookouts, and send out bird calls and record how many reply back. Pretty standard stuff. Well it was around 8 at night, starting to get dark, and we were just kind of shooting the thing while we finished up. So we sent out a call but instead of birds replying something screamed. It didn't sound human, it was deep and almost hollow sounding, and loud. Didn't sound like any kind of bear or lynx or anything we'd ever heard before, and we all had spent a lot of time in those woods. We took a break after that, but didn't hear it again, which was probably for the best given how startled we were. Throughout the night we could hear some scratching noises from the trees but didn't see or hear anything else. I still think about it sometimes. I worked for Olympic National Park in Northwest Washington and had a roommate who worked on a spotted owl survey crew. He would work far off trail in rugged backcountry. One day he came across a bivy sack, small one-man tent, in the middle of nowhere in March. Inside was the remains of a man who had died of hypothermia. Very sad. In college went camping with brother and two friends. About dusk we see a guy walking towards us in a green and white prison outfit. He walks straight up to our campsite and asks if we have anything he can drink. We all remained calm. Offer him a beverage and he chugs it, says thanks and walks off. A park ranger later told us a prison down the road lets non-violent prisoners out to do work around the park, but I still wonder why he was not in a team or supervised and they allow him to creep on people. Strange indeed. When I was a park ranger, I found a remote cabin in one of the parks. Anyway, I spent a good amount of time in this old cabin with this old man. Wood stove, porch swing hanging from the ceiling that he used as a bed. Overall, it was an okay place and it wasn't too far of a drive to town for food, you just had to tolerate the half mile walk to your car. So, one day we were out walking around the woods and in a smallish clearing in the path we see easily a good 50 to 60 dead geese. Every one of them is mangled in horrific ways, necks ripped off of the body, bodies splayed out over old timbers and fence posts, feathers everywhere. Bones sticking out of the dirt. It just looked like a straight-up goose genocide. The ground was dry, and there was a lot of dust, but we saw no prints, and there was no other evidence of anything being in the area aside from what one can only assume was some sort of strange breed of exploding goose. 
We also found a torn open old backpack and a great deal of candy wrappers strewn about it. Way too moldy to identify anything about it. I decided to turn back and see if I could grab a camera when I start hearing this god-awful shrieking noise, as if it were coming from every possible nook and cranny within a 30-foot radius. I took off pretty fast when that started. To this day, my best guess is some sort of massive commune of foxes. It really is the only rational solution I can come to. Still scared the S out of me. For several years I worked out in the forests of a country that experienced a large eradication of people in the not incredibly distant past. Several times I found skulls. Once I wasn't watching where I was going and stumbled on something soft. I looked down and it looked like a very old sweater had been lying there forever. I poked it with my foot and dug around in the vegetation a bit. Most of the skeleton was gone, but it was clear there were bones inside the sweater. Somehow that freaked me out more than the skulls. I once led a trip to the top of Mount Sterling in North Carolina. It's a tough climb to get to the Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Top, and about six miles from the nearest road. I was leading a group of eight middle school kids and had one co-instructor. We were camping out on top of the mountain, and it was a beautiful night with a full moon. The kids and the other co-instructor went to bed in their tents. I chose to spend the night in a hammock that night. I was really into a book I was reading so I stayed up and read until about 10.30 p.m. I turned my headlamp off to settle in for the night. Everything around me was rather bright from the moon and from the position I was in. I could see down the trail we had hiked to get to the top. I laid there enjoying the scenery and noticed something moving on the trail. Bears are common in the area so I perked up. As it got closer, I could tell it was a person. We were in the middle of nowhere and there was someone hiking up the trail with no headlamp or any gear. I was just frozen, watching this person move closer to our camp. They arrived at the top of the mountain where we were and just stopped. I watched as what appeared to be a man surveyed our camp. I really could only see the outline of him. He stood there for what seemed like 30 minutes but may have been 10. He then turned and sat down under a tree facing our camp. He was sitting up in a way that I knew he wasn't trying to sleep. He just sat there staring at our camp. I had no idea what to do. 
I decided to wait it out. I waited, just staring at the man while he stared at my camp. This went on until about 3.30 a.m. Then, he stood up, took a moment to survey my camp a few minutes longer and then went back down the trail he came up on. I, to this day have no idea what that was all about but it freaked me out. I was paranoid that we were being followed for the rest of the trip. Perfectly severed deer head found on isolated trail in Yellowstone. I'm a ranger at Yellowstone. Couple weeks ago I was exploring the Lamar Valley, about 11 miles from the nearest road and even further to the park boundary. There, in the middle of the trail, is a perfectly severed deer head. No blood, no raggedness at the severance. Perfectly intact. This is weird because I have seen wolf and bear kills, and I used to find cougar kills in SD with radio tracking just after the cougar made them. This was not any of those things. The head was completely uneaten, eyes, tongue, everything intact. Even the ravens hadn't touched it yet. No caching, no scat. Right smack in the trail, but again, no blood. Even a human doing it made no conventional sense. It was a doe so it had no antlers, plus, why leave it in the trail? Whole thing, even in broad daylight, gave me chills. Just an ocean of waving grass, bison calmly grazing, and a perfectly clean deer head right on the path. There was a group of teens that hadn't been heard from after their scheduled return time from a camping trip. A co-worker, and I head out in the general direction the teens had set off in. We'd been hiking for most of the day and seen nothing. We're about 35 kilometers into the woods at this point when we start noticing odd things. Sticks carved like spears stuck into the ground, weird carvings in the trees, a child stuffed animal hanging from a noose up in a tree. This place was nowhere near any roads, it wasn't on the regular trails people would go on in the area. The really eerie thing was that everything was freshly carved. Somebody had been there within a couple of hours of us and made these things. Mind you we're still looking for these teens. We kept on hiking and eventually made camp for the night still kind of on edge from what we had seen earlier but we settle down anyway and go to sleep. We get up with the sunrise hoping to cover more ground before it gets to hot. We pack up the gear and get ready to go when I notice a bit of shirt that had caught on a small tree and ripped along with some shoe prints. We were thinking, great maybe we're close by to the teens, when a radio call comes through. The teens had just been found 20 kilometers east of us, and they're calling everybody back. All those weird things we had seen from the day before came flooding back into my mind, and we wasted no time hiking out of those woods. I found a dead man in a tree. I am a seasonal ranger for my local forest district. The rest of the rangers say we find about one suicide a year, so here was the one for the year. When we go around opening parks each day, we drive through to make sure everything is okay. In this instance, I was driving through, and had just lost sight of the road when I saw a man hanging from a tree in a clearing. He had hung himself. I called the cops and the coroner. 
The coroner took an hour to show up, and he was the only one with a ladder long enough to cut the guy down. So I stared at a dead guy in a tree for an hour. The scariest experience I had as a backcountry park ranger in Washington state was being stalked by a cougar for a day and a half. I was hiking up an unpopular trail up to an old shelter and had that creepy being watched feeling. I had seen fairly fresh cougar scratches and scats along the trail but that's pretty common up here so I wasn't worried at all. That night I camped at the shelter, which only had three walls and a roof. I felt uneasy all night and hardly slept. At one point, chiding myself for being paranoid, I arranged my emergency foil tarp around my sleeping bag so at least I could hopefully hear something if it approached me as I slept. The next day I found fresh scat and scratches on the trail I had hiked in on. About a mile past the shelter I found a mostly eaten deer and some dense brush off the trail. Cougars often keep kill stashes throughout their territory for later snacking. Now a cougar won't usually tangle with a human, but here I am a 5 foot tall, 100 pound sack of flesh and bones at least 13 miles out from any other humans. I decided to cut short my 3 day trip, and hot footed it out of there. The last 2 hours of hiking through dusk in a dense forest was the most hair raising hike I've ever had. I didn't know I was capable of being that hyper-vigilant. Our park lets kids from school in so they can look for animals in the forest and the streams. One day a kid finds molars. The teeth looked like human molars, but the teacher said they were a deer's. I dismissed it and completely forgot about it. Two days later, they found a corpse with a smashed skull and jaw in another part of the park. All its teeth were missing. A local newspaper covered it, but all they had to say was thank the spooky skeletons for good bones and teeth. I have been a ranger in the southern Canadian Rockies for a few years. One Sunday morning, I was doing my daily patrols, saw some smoke from afar, and thought I would check it out. When I arrived on the scene, there was a group of people half-naked, only sexual parts exposed, dressed up as animals all curled up in a ball passed out on the ground. Probably one of the weirdest things I have come across. Totaled, yet empty, truck found at the bottom of a cliff. A pickup truck that had been driven off the 1200 road up in the Cascade Mountains above Washougal. It was totaled. I hiked down to it and checked it out. No signs of injury, so maybe it was just pushed down after being stolen. But behind the truck seat was a used pair of women's panties. I called the cops with its location, don't know whatever came of it. I was surveying a remote restoration site near an old trail and I heard someone walking up a nearby path. All the hair on the back of my neck stood on end, so I grabbed all my stuff and started casually walking down the trail like I belonged there. I turned the corner and there was a shirtless guy swinging a crowbar around in circles, and when he saw me he 
Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Started yelling, I've got a crowbar. I've got a crowbar. I think I nodded at him, squeaked something like, nice crowbar, and then ran the mile or so back to my truck. The oddest thing, that is, my unsolved mystery, was the abandoned camp next to the trail. Camping outside of designated campsites is a big no-no, and I was surprised as all get out to walk around the corner one day and find a tent set up directly next to the trail. The trail ran along a nice stream, and was a very tranquil spot. Inside, I found a cloth sleeping bag, some dirty clothes, lots of food, big cans of SpaghettiOs, and what looked like some leftovers from a refried beans and rice dinner, and a teddy bear. Everything reeked of cigarette smoke. I was reticent to confiscate everything and leave the individual out there with nothing, but I did take all the food and pack it to a secure food storage box along the way back to my cabin. I left a note explaining where I had taken the food, and that they needed to move camp. I was unable to return to the tent for two weeks, way too long to leave it sitting there, next to the trail. It was basically untouched when I returned. Some trail crew folks had checked it out and let me know, 
But that was probably it. I packed up the rest and hauled it out. I spent some time poking around the area, but never saw any other signs of life. It was obviously someone who was not prepared for camping out in the backcountry, judging by the food, equipment, and the teddy bear. I just don't know. Everything, clothing, gear, etc., indicated just one individual. While out in full fog, my friend and I figured we were the only people silly enough to go for a hike in the cold rain and fog. There was one other truck in the parking lot when we arrived. Well, after a few miles in, near the top of the mountain we were climbing, we found the guy. He was in his underwear and had a pillow and a walking stick. That was it. I don't know if we interrupted his nap but he got up and left when we came upon him. We're in the middle of nowhere, no other humans for at least 40 kilometers and we're hearing this unearthly shrieking sound. We run out into the forest, heading downhill to the lowlands next to the river and watched as a group of maybe six wolves chased down a bull moose. The animal had a massive gash in its side. It had been gored by yet another predator which was following up from the rear, a full-grown male grizzly bear. I thought I was watching a movie, like one of those things you only see in nature documentaries. We followed from a distance of maybe 250 meters, while the bull moose desperately tried to cross the river, it didn't make it. The wolves descended on their prey, dragging it onto shore while it was still kicking and shrieking in agony. The wolves didn't get their prize for long as the grizzly was done watching and charged the pack of wolves, which broke up at the first charge, then attacked. The massive bear broke two of the pack against the ground, then the others slinked back into the woods. They didn't go far from the kill, knowing the bear would have its fill, and they would have theirs sooner or later. It was a battle that you only hear about from First Nations. That was the moment I realized why we were not the top of the food chain at that moment. I was out camping in the middle of nowhere, and just before dawn, I heard this huge boom that woke me out of my sleep. I packed up for a hike and set out towards the sound. After about a 5-kilometer hike, I found the smoldering remains of a what I think was a moonshine still. It could have been a meth lab. There was at least one very mutilated body, but it looked like one guy got out in one piece. I was hiking in so woods on a property my father rented as farm ground with my older brother. After a while we noticed a sickly sweet smell, being farm kids we knew what it was, something dead and left to rot. As we kept walking we entered a mash-like area, soft, squishy ground and very tall grass. We had walked through marsh-like areas before so we walked on the large grass clumps, being very careful where we placed our feet. After making it to a large clump of solid ground I look up and find a massive pile of skinned animal carcasses. The pile was easily over 10 feet tall, with a 15-foot circumference. It comprised of every animal you could think of, rabbit, fox, coyote, deer, weasel, cat, dog, raccoon, and others I couldn't recognize. 
the old man that owned the land trapped year round for anything he could get. He just kept throwing the carcasses in the same pile year after year. After we left the area it dawned on me, the marsh was not in a lowland like most marshy places. The group was just saturated with the decaying fluids of all those animals. That's also the reason the grass was abnormally tall in that area. Former guide, current wildland firefighter here. Couple of things. I saw a shooting star take several 90 degree turns in the Mojave Desert. My buddy and I camped on BLM land north of Colorado National Monument, we rolled in late that night. The place had sort of a weird vibe, but we were tired and not too worried. He slept in the pop top of his truck, I slept outside without a tent. We both had very vivid dreams about talking to coyotes. The next morning there were coyote tracks around my head in his truck. I saw those missile test lights two weeks ago, only I saw them after exiting a canyon 40 miles outside of Escalante, Utah. Not a conspiracy kind of guy, but that seems like a long way off to be able to see lights off the coast of California. Been stalked by mountain lions, and that's one hell of a creepy feeling. Found bodies with search and rescue. Realizing that it could have been you, and that the unlucky subject just missed a few hints, made a simple mistake, or guessed wrong and died because of it. Never gets easier to look at their faces. I was about 19 and went hunting with my stepdad. We were a good hour or two into the woods on an old peanut plantation and we were both in separate ground blinds. I had two incidents on this same trip. First, while I was watching a deer through the brush a good 50 yards away I noticed some movement out the corner of my other eye. When I turned my head to look I saw a bobcat, it was a big fella two less than 10 feet from me, nothing between him and I. We locked eyes and I swear it just stood there looking into my eyes for what felt like forver, before it turned and walked away calmly. The second also cat related, near the end of the trip, it was almost dark. I heard some rustling in the brush to my right and as I spun my head around to look I heard what sounded like a mountain lion growl and saw a long slender tail slither into the bushes almost as close as the bobcat was. I didn't find out until the trip home that there had been a few sightings of big cats in the area. I wished I had my camera with me that day. I would love to have gotten a picture of that bobcat at least. This is not a park ranger story but it involves deep woods. So, my parents own a small cabin and some land out in a remote area of Alberta. One day we came across a bunch of inakshuks, large stones stacked on each other to resemble in this case, people. They were all dressed up, some in little girl dresses, children's jumpers, safety vests, parkas, some had hats on them and all of them were seriously creepy. We had no idea where they came from or who put them there. We started making up scary stories around the campfire about this mystery person and we started pulling pranks on each other, Inukshuk suddenly erected overnight outside of a friend's tent. Lots of scary Blair Witch stuff to freak each other out. 
My mom went to this social event that the farmers and ranchers in the area put on every year. She mentioned the Inukshuks to an old couple and they told her that their adult son with a variety of mental disorders put those up. Apparently they calm him down and it's very therapeutic for him. It was nice to know that a real person put those up and not evil forest spirits or an axe murderer. I have two stories. Being chased by a bird is scary. I was sitting in a park one day, eating my lunch, taking in the fresh air, when I see this little black bird on the grass just glaring at me. It kind of freaked me out, but I just shrugged it off and finished my lunch. I start to walk back to work and I can see the bird's shadow flying from tree to tree above me. At this point I'm thinking it may actually be following me. I then proceed to run in an area that has no trees and I see the bird's shadow gliding directly above me. I literally hauled ass back to work and when I got inside, I looked outside and it was sitting on the railing on the balcony of where I worked. Scary as F. Second story. This isn't scary, it is really cool. I went camping through British Columbia a couple of summers ago and at one campground there was a ton of wildlife, more so than I'm used to. When I woke up to go pee one night I heard so many animals, wolves howling, loons howling, owls cooing etc. It was incredible. It threw me off at first because I'm not used to that, but it was amazing. There was another campground in British Columbia that was right on the coast and at like 3 am right before it was going to rain, a bajillion birds went nuts. There were probably other animals making sound too but I was too caught up enjoying whoever was creating the beautiful rain song to even think about distinguishing them. I'm an archaeologist and was working by myself out in the middle of nowhere in the Gila National Forest in New Mexico. I was walking along and all of a sudden heard a dog bark, I look up and there's this hound dog on the road ahead of me. Then I hear a horse and around the bend there's this guy riding this horse and pulling a donkey behind him. To begin with, it's winter so it's pretty cold, and this guy is wearing this obviously handmade fur coat, he has this thick beard that goes down to the middle of his chest, and he has this old raggedy hat. Basically, the guy looks like he stepped out of 1860. Then on the back of the donkey he has a stack of furs that are about 6 feet tall. Turns out the guy's an honest-to-god trapper. He had a ton of different hides and whatnot, he told me their worth, turns out he had almost $10,000 worth of hides on that donkey, and told me he had basically been living off the land for about two months. He was pretty interesting. I'm a wildland firefighter out of Wyoming. This season we rolled to Nevada to assist their crews early in the season. We were on initial attack, where you go around to the new starts and contain what you can, this one day. We contained the fire, then got called to another fire near the Cali border around 10 PM. We arrived, worked until about 1 AM, then went to sleep because we had worked our maximum 16 hour shift for the day. Now. One thing you should know is how much of the guys in my crew sleep. Generally we are too exhausted to set up a tent, so we just lay out a tarp and put our sleeping bag on top of it. It's very exposed, 
and can be a little scary the first few times. So, I pass out in my sleeping bag. At some point in the night, I wake up to some noises dead ahead of me. It's pitch black because of the new moon, and I don't have my light. All of a sudden, I see three or four bobbing bluish lights moving through the brush 50 yards or so off of me. Then I started to hear these strange shrieking slash screaming noises from the same area. At this point, I just buried myself in the sleeping bag and tried to ignore it all. What else was there to do? The noises stopped after a few minutes. When I woke up the next morning, I realized what it was. We had set up camp literally 75 yards from a ranch house and barn. The lights bobbing were either the rancher or some of his livestock. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Felt pretty stupid at that point. Never did find out what the shrieking noises were. Mount St. Helens. The name is usually associated with a massive explosion that claimed the lives of more than 50 people and caused a billion dollars in property damage. Now I think it should be known for something else. I was hiking the mountain with some friends of mine, Tom and Josh, those two had been my best friends ever since elementary school. Tom was getting married in a week and insisted we go out camping. We were gonna hike up the side of the mountain and make camp for a few days. The first night was great, we made camp, sat around a fire, drank and told stories just like old times. Josh was the first one to turn in, leaving me and Tom alone with the fire and booze. We chatted a bit more before he stood to head to bed. He asked if I was gonna turn in but I shook my head and told him I'd wait to make sure the fire went out. He ducked into his tent. As I sat there alone with my thoughts then I noticed something, there was a pair of glowing red spots shining at me from the trees. I shook my head and rubbed my eyes, when I looked back up they were gone. Had I imagined them? Maybe I'd had too much to drink. Or maybe it was just an owl, those spots were pretty high up but. They looked pretty big to belong to an owl. I sighed and kicked dirt over the embers of the fire and went into my tent. I crawled into my sleeping bag and started to doze off. Just before I did though I thought I heard something, like something rubbing against the tent, but by then it was too late and I drifted into a dreamless sleep. I awoke to the smell of coffee and roasting sausages. I stepped out of the tent and saw Josh, always the early bird, 
was making a breakfast of coffee and sausage. I sat with him and enjoyed the crisp morning air and took in the scenery. I talked with Josh for a while before Tom woke up and joined us. We all sat together for a bit before we started packing our gear to go on a hike. While I did I noticed something weird, there seemed to be weird prints around the camp and tent. I wasn't really sure what they were, then again I wasn't an animal expert, but the weirdest part was that I didn't see any tracks leading to or from camp. They just circled the camp for a while before ending abruptly near my tent. Maybe it had climbed a tree? It was possible but there weren't many trees near the campsite. Before I had much more time to dwell on this Tom called for me to join him and Josh. I shook my head to clear the thoughts and join them. It was amazing, the forest had recovered beautifully from the disaster just 40 years prior. We took pictures and talked and laughed, it was perfect. Until we came upon a body in a tree. Josh was the first to notice it, he was in the middle of making some joke about an athlete when he stopped and paled. I turned to see what froze him and felt the blood drain from my face. Suspended in the tree, 15 or 20 feet up, was a deer. Its body had been badly mangled, its head held onto its body by a few strands of flesh, its rear limbs were missing, and its stomach was ripped open with most of its entrails missing. Its body was stuffed in the crevice between two branches. Tom threw up at the sight and none of us said anything. I think Josh broke the silence, he wanted to know what could have done something like that. I shook my head and told him that it could have been a cougar, I had heard that some big cats carried their kills up in trees. That didn't put him at ease. Tom explained that he had spoken to a park ranger before they came up here and they had said there weren't any large predators spotted near here. But even if it was a cougar there wasn't much of a chance it'd bother us at camp, plus he showed us a hunting rifle he had brought, just in case. I suppose that was enough for Josh, since he calmed a bit at that and we resumed walking. Though this time we were silent. I didn't entirely think it was a cougar though, that body was pretty torn up and there were no claw marks on the trunk of the tree. But I didn't voice those concerns. By the time we made it back to camp it had started getting dark but the mood had lightened considerably, we were back to joking and laughing. The dead deer all but gone from our minds. But we fell silent once we saw the state of our camp, it had been totally ransacked. Our tents were ripped to shreds and our supplies were strewn all over the place. The coolers containing our food had been ripped open or totally crushed, I even saw one that looked like it had been flung 20 or 30 feet feet away. At first I didn't see the beer cooler, until I looked up and saw it sitting between two branches 20 feet off the ground. Tom and Josh immediately began searching the remains of the camp for anything we could salvage, both convicted that whatever had killed the deer had found our camp and ransacked it and I agreed. While they searched for anything to salvage I searched around for tracks, there were plenty large clawed footprints around the camp that I had a hard time identifying. But the part that confused me was that, once again, none of tracks were heading in or out of camp. I turned to point it out to the others but felt my voice die in my throat as my eyes fell on something in the trees, a massive shape with red eyes glaring at me. It stood in the darkness of the tree branches, at least 20 feet off the ground, and I could just barely make out the shape of it. 
I could see a large powerful body with muscular arms ending in claws that glinted in the rising moonlight. I saw a snout, almost like a wolf or bat, that was filled with sharp yellowed teeth. I was about to yell for one of the others when massive bat-like wings unfurled from behind the creature and launched it into the air and out of view with a single powerful flap. I quickly turned to the others, desperate to confirm if they saw what I saw, but was quickly silenced when Josh made a sound of triumph and held up the keys to his car. He explained that we could likely make a trip to a nearby ranger station and tell them what happened, then sort things out after that. He began making his way to the edge of camp but only made it halfway when a massive dark shape dropped from the sky right on him and vanished upwards just as quickly taking Josh with it, he didn't even have time to scream. Tom immediately began to panic. Shouting what was that? What the hell was that? While I searched the dark sky for any sign of Josh or whatever took him, there was no sign of either of them. Tom was still freaking out when I grabbed him by the shoulders and told him we had to go to the truck and try to get help. He still seemed to be in shock but numbly nodded and grabbed his rifle before we both made a mad dash through the woods. We ran as fast as we could, terrified we'd feel claws digging into our backs or shoulders with every step. However, I guess luck was on our side since we made it to the cars without anything happening. In fact we were both running so fast we ended up nearly slamming into the car door. I immediately started yanking on the handle, desperately trying to open the door, when Tom's hand suddenly grabbed my shoulder. I turned to face him and saw he was pale and there were tears in his eyes, I nearly came to tears myself when he reminded me that Josh had the keys. I don't know how long we stood there, an air of utter despair washing over both of us before it was all shattered with a crash from behind me. I quickly turned to see Josh's mutilated body laying on the roof of the car, his eyes and most of his face had been clawed off. I opened my mouth to scream when suddenly I was nearly deafened by the sound of a gunshot from behind. When I turned around I saw Tom aiming his gun at the sky, wildly firing at a dark shape above. If any of his shots made contact that thing didn't show it. While he shot I began desperately searching through Josh's pockets for the keys, I finally felt my fingers make contact with cold metal and pulled them out with a triumphant yell. I turned to tell Tom I had found the keys but just as I did I heard a sound that froze my blood, the click of an empty gun. Tom turned to me, a look of fear and despair in his eyes, before he was tackled to the ground by that thing. I felt its wing hit me and I was knocked to the ground. The sound of Tom screaming and flesh tearing filled my ears as I saw the, the creature ripping into him. Instinct took over and I rolled under the truck. I closed my eyes and covered my ears but the sound of Tom's scream still pierced into my mind, it felt like hours before they stopped but it was likely only moments. When silence finally fell I slowly opened one eye, terrified that the monster would be inches from my face. Instead I saw the remains of Tom. His head was laying a few feet from his body with its empty dead eyes staring at me. I strained my ears and eyes to catch any sign that that thing was still there but I didn't see or hear anything. Part of me wanted to desperately climb out and try to get in the truck before it got me, but fear gripped my body and stopped me from moving. What if it was on the roof? Or hovering just above the truck? Waiting for me? I spent the entire night under that truck, 
Anytime I mustered the courage to try and crawl out I thought I heard the beat of massive wings or something shifting on the roof of the car. Even when the sun came up I was too afraid, the only thing that finally encouraged me to crawl out was the screech of tires. I looked up to see a park ranger vehicle near the truck, I quickly crawled out from under and staggered towards the ranger. What happened next was a blur, I remember desperately trying to explain what happened while the ranger looked at the bodies of my friends with a look of horror, I remember waiting at the station and trying to convince them that a flying monster killed my friends. They didn't believe me. Of course they also didn't believe I had killed my friends, according to them no human could have done that to them. The attack was attributed to a bear that was seen in the area a few days later. Funerals were held for Tom and Josh, most people were sympathetic and said they were happy I managed to make it out alive. Tom's fiancé didn't say a word to me, the look she gave me was enough. I attended therapy afterwards, at the request of my family, and they said I was suffering from survivor's guilt and that I made up the monster I saw out of terror. They're half right, I shouldn't have survived that night. But I didn't make up that monster. I know I didn't. I'm riding this in my car on the side of the road, back on the mountain. My gun is in the seat next to me. I'm going back to the campsite and this time I'm not returning without that thing. No matter what. I am a park service sidewinder and I have stories to share. This has taken me the better part of a month to work up the courage to tell the tales I have experienced. I've bounced around some, lurked here, and shared other stories from my past, but these. Well they were always off limits. It wasn't that I didn't want to tell them, but rather a fear that men in white coats will suddenly take me away to a nice padded cell. Thing is, from what I know, well I'm not the only one that's had strange happenings in their time with the service. So first things first, you're probably wondering what a sidewinder is. Officially, we're members of a rather elite group of search and rescue officers who specialize in desert searches. Note that I said searches, and not rescue. Each and every one of us, collectively called sidewinders from our ability to survive in the most hostile desert conditions, are trained in everything from tracking and first aid, to survival and recovery. Typically, they only call us in on the worst cases. Someone goes missing in one of the many desert areas in the West, and after the massive search fails. We go in to recover the body, or bodies. Truth be known, we don't usually find bodies, just bones or a few identifying items. We're also rather unique among SNR, since we tend to work alone. There's always a lot of desert to cover, and it's just more cost-effective to send in one, maybe two sidewinders in to track missing persons. In my time, I've recovered something around 50 people, and only rescued one. The desert is a rather harsh place, but that kinda goes without saying. In training, they teach us that after three days in the desert, the chances of a person surviving drops exponentially. After five days, there's no hope and it becomes a recovery. Granted, that's when you're not talking about a missing sidewinder. I remember during training, our training officer related a story about one sidewinder who had gone missing during a recovery. Almost a month later, that guy wandered into a park service office. He was skin and bones, but alive. 
The service had long given up on him, and his family had largely moved on, yet here this guy was, a walking bag of bones, coming out of a hell that you can't imagine. All told, the guy had walked almost 300 miles from where he started out, to where he ended. Dude's still with the service too, in case you wondered. I won't go into detail about the training, but suffice it to say that it's the hardest training you'll ever experience. 200S and our guys sign up for the training every year, and typically only two or three actually survive the process. Most simply decide that they can't do it, though there are other reasons they drop out. The doors always seem to claim one, every training rotation. Doors. If you had told me three years ago that a simple door would be the object of terror, I would have laughed in your face. They're probably the strangest thing you'll in the high desert. Middle of nowhere, no roads or trails for miles, and there will be this door standing there upright. It's never the same kind of door either, I've seen house doors, a couple metal ones, and at least one cheap trailer door. These doors, they're creepy to say the least, but it's the fact that they move that really gets to you. I remember one recovery in particular that I was followed by one of these doors. That one started with a simple hiking incident. A couple had decided to hike out into the desert, camp overnight, and then hike back. When they didn't show at their works the next Monday, family called the park service. The ES and our guys searched a good 50 mile square area of desert for them, but didn't turn anything up. So, rather reluctantly they called me in. Calling in the sidewinders was seen as admitting defeat. Even the police give us a wide berth. I packed up, took enough food for a two-week trip, MREs are handy in that regard, and enough water to pack in and out. With that, I hiked into the desert to follow their steps and try to retrace where they may have gone, and hopefully find this pair. Their trail was pretty easy to follow for the first few hours, before it turned off the established path and cut out across the sand pan. Their tracks showed that they were walking side by side then, and continued on for upwards of 5 miles like that before I found something that sent chills up my spine. The track suddenly turned to the left and seemed to circle around a point up on one of the dunes. There was no reason for them to do that though, at least nothing visible. From then on, the path continued back down and headed almost directly away from that spot. The tracks continued on, before coming to a stop in the lee of a dune. They had simply evaporated. However I knew that they couldn't have gone too far, if they made the same time I had, then they likely would have reached that point about the same time I did. Thinking like the hikers, I decided that I'd be looking for shelter. A short distance away, as I picked my way through scrub and around some rocks, I came to a good camping site. Located in the shade of a large rock wall, with a nice overhang, I spread out my bed roll and then set to getting something to eat. I think it was then that I first noticed the door. Now, you need to keep in mind, by that point I'd stumbled over several of those before. This one seemed different though. It was located a short distance away, just down from where I sat. I knew well enough to steer clear of them, as they were bad news, but I have to admit I was curious. I suppose that's what prompted me to become a sidewinder in the first place, looking at things in retrospect. Curiosity. Going where no living man or woman has gone, 
and exploring what lay out there. The door was this large house front door, painted a bright red. So bright that it seemed to shine in the waning light. It stood there like the house it once occupied had long since fallen down, and this chunk of wood had somehow managed to stay standing. Lifting my glass of water to it, I gave a light nod, as if saying to it yes, I know you're there. I then ate, and went to sleep. I rose with the dawn, packed up and kicked out my fire before heading on further. The door was gone. No surprise there, they tended to do that. I picked up the trail shortly after, and found the remnants of a camp. From the looks of things, the couple had camped there for a day before leaving. Suddenly, everything was torn, there were signs of a struggle, or more likely a fight. Two sets of tracks headed off into the desert from there, each going a different direction. I surmised that they must have had an argument over something, and had wandered off to cool their heads. Problem was, I couldn't see any indication that they had returned. So that meant that they'd split up, which is bad to do in the first place, and then something had happened. Most common killing cause out here is someone slipping into a crack in the ground, and just never getting out. Kinda like the guy down in Moab, but with no survival. I decided that I'd check the leftmost path first, as that one seemed to head down into the sand. The other went up over some rocks and headed down into a valley area, but tracking that would be a royal pain in the ass, and honestly I was here to tag and recover bodies. Whatever makes that job easier, is what wins. I followed that sandy trail a good 300 feet before it simply stopped. Not petered out, as often happens, not turned back on itself, no, it just stopped. Mid-step no less. Turning around and checking my maps, I made note of this for an aerial search before turning around to walk back. Behind me, not three feet from the trail, and maybe twenty from where I stood, was that same red door. I stopped in my tracks there, pausing for a long time. Chills ran up my spine, and I broke out in a cold sweat. I probably stood there a good ten minutes before I mustered up the courage to walk back the way I had came. I didn't even shoot a glance at the door then, opting to ignore it from that point forward. Leaving it in my wake, I continued on to follow the second track. That one continued deeper in the desert, and seemed to be heading in a particular direction. As if the person leaving it had known where they were going. Sadly nothing lay in that direction, at least not for a good hundred miles of hard scrub. Well, let me rephrase that. Nothing worth finding. There was that damn door. I'd see it every now and then, usually off the trail a short distance, sometimes even hidden up at the top of a bluff that there was no way for it to be put up there in the first place. Always following me, always beckoning me closer. In the end, after a good week out on the search, I called it quits. I hiked back out, providing the S and our guys with the evidence I had found, and suggesting that they just write it off. The desert had claimed two more, or maybe the doors had. It would be a good year and a half further on before there would be some closure to that story. While on a fire patrol outside Vegas, a park ranger saw smoke rising off in the distance. Driving that way, he eventually came to the source of the smoke. It was the remnants of a small brush fire that was quickly burning itself out. He was, reportedly, 
about ready to chalk it up to lightning, when he tripped over the bodies. The strange thing, he would later tell the authorities, is that the two looked like they just appeared from nowhere. Trails leading to where they lay were quickly found, but those trails just appeared out of thin air. An autopsy was performed, and it was discovered that they had died from exposure. They were identified by family as being the pair who I had been sent in after, though mysteries remained. For example, how had they, with no food or water, crossed a full 500 miles of open desert? Why were their clothes untouched by the weather, and strangest of all, how had they managed to keep their cellular phones at a full charge? With nothing to charge them with? I have many other stories to tell, such as a town you won't find on any map, or the many ghosts that wander the sands, or the sheer number of planes that simply vanish in this area. When I have some time, I'll post those.